Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Today on the Live Your Why podcast, I'm speaking with a dear friend, Jennifer Finlayson Fife. You know her and love her, and I'm sure many of you have taken some of her courses on self-awareness, understanding sexual desire, sexual development in marriage, male sexual shame. She does such wonderful work. I've admired her work for many years, and I'm delighted that she could be here with me today. We're going to be talking a little bit about female orgasm, the elusive female orgasm. As a professor here at BYU who teaches a lot of students about preparing for marriage and then early marriage transitions, there are frequent conversations I have with students as well as clients who come to see me professionally where there's a difficulty in being able to achieve orgasm. And these sweet young ladies feel like something's seriously wrong with them because it's not happening for them the way that they thought that it would. And there's a lot of their early marriage conversations and time in together sexually that end up feeling like I'm a problem or I am the problem or I don't want you to try to, to work on me anymore because it never works out. We'll just have sex with you because I know you need it. A lot of this thinking around being the burden sexually within a marriage. This idea is not helpful. However, if you look at our culture, you can totally understand why women often feel like they're the broken, the broken partners in sexual relationships. Let me just tell you a little bit about some history around sexual research. The original sexologist, Masters and Johnson, back in the late 50s, early 60s, did their first real brain scans on individuals learning a little bit more about sexuality and what happens within the body and within the brain as a person has desire, experiences arousal, experiences an orgasm, and then resolution or afterglow. All of those subjects that were originally studied by Masters and Johnson were men. And so all of this research was done and first published on the sexual response cycles. All of it was conducted only on men. And these sexual response cycles have been taught, have been printed in books, still sometimes are taught on campus, I've seen. And these sexual response cycles are created around the sexual experiences of men. And the cycles go desire, arousal, orgasm, resolution. Well, in the last 20 years, we've started having a lot more research, in-depth research done on female sexuality. We, as women, are in the picture now in sexual research. And what we found is that the first two stages of the sexual response cycles for most women are reversed than they are for men. Most women need to be aroused before they feel the desire for sex. Then they can experience orgasm and resolution. Men experience desire first. Women experience arousal first. So you can see why so many women 
today and throughout history have felt that they are the broken, weaker sexual partner because they're just not spontaneously wanting to have sex. That's not the way our brains work as women. Women need to experience arousal before they have sexual desire. So what can really help young women who are learning to have sex and understanding how orgasm works for them, what I think they need to understand most are two things. One, they need to understand what they find arousing. As you observe your husband, what turns you on? I had a client just a few weeks ago. We were having this conversation in therapy, and I asked her to go through the week and observe everything throughout the week that created interest, sexual interest or sexual arousal, or when she would look at her husband and find him sexy. She came back the next week and told me, she's there with her husband, told me the thing, the single most impressive sexual response of arousal that she saw in her husband during the week was on Sunday when he was dressed in his suit, church was over, And she saw him cheerfully talking with other people as he was cleaning up the chairs in the cultural hall after church meetings. Her husband just looked at her and said, are you kidding me? And she said, no. So ladies, you need to know what you find arousing about your husbands. Look for those things. Think about those things. And once you know what are some of the things you think about and find attractive and erotic about him, share those ideas with him so he knows how to help you feel aroused. Secondly, Gals, you've got to get comfortable with your bodies, understanding that your whole body is yours, that you are the one that's responsible for understanding how it functions sexually. So getting information to help you know how to help yourself feel sexual arousal, sexual desire, and build up to orgasm is going to be very important. This is sexual maturing. When this is done in an effort as an individual to help understand what needs to happen so that you can create your husband giving you pleasure in the bedroom, this is going to be a wonderful gift. It is not masturbation when you are not selfishly learning how your body works. So Jennifer and I are talking a little bit today about female orgasm. I hope you'll listen in. She has some wonderful ideas and a few laughs. Jennifer, I am so excited to have you here today. You know I'm a big fan. I think I've told you a couple of times if I could sit in your brain for a day, it would make me so happy because I think you're so intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way you think and you are so articulate. Anyway, I appreciate you you coming and talking with us a little bit today about female orgasm. Mm -hmm. I'll have you start by just telling a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump into that. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. So let's see a little bit about myself. I am married and have three children who are teenagers and or young adults and a golden retriever. (laughs) And um, I have a PhD in counseling psychology and I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexual agency and have had a practice that has 
been both a therapy practice and a coaching and instructional practice where I'm doing a lot to teach and help specifically Latter-day Saint couples, women and men individually as well, have a more peaceful relationship with their sexuality and in their marriage and to create more more alive and passionate marriages. Yes, and you do such a good job. Such a good job. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. the elusive female orgasm, as you can probably imagine, I work with a lot of young, newly married couples. And this is something mm-hmm. that obviously is a transition sexually mm-hmm. and a lot of not having any knowledge about how our bodies work sexually. It can be something that can create a lot of frustration as couples get married and they're so excited for this experience and then mm-hmm. it just doesn't work the way they had hoped that it would. So I know mm-hmm. that, and you know the research, but it indicates that about 10 to 15 percent of women really are anorgasmic, meaning that they really don't orgasm. And the research mm-hmm. also says that nearly 50% of women are not satisfied with how frequently they're orgasming. So I want to ask you, in your experience and in what you've studied, why do you think there are women who are anorgasmic when they have a whole clitoral complex? Do you think it's more to do with brain, with trauma, or is it simply they don't understand like what to do? Well, I think it can be all of those things mm-hmm. that you named, but it's it's also that, first of all, women's sexual self-knowledge is often much more limited in part because of a lot of cultural meanings around women and sexuality, but also just because women's sexual organs are more internal and men's are more external. So little boys are sorting out the their erogenous zones at age two in the bathtub, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> much more likely than little girls are. And we also kind of link psychologically this idea that girls' value, women's value has to do with their purity more than we connect that to men's value. Mm-hmm. Men also have messages that can be really inhibiting or shame-inducing, but th- this idea that it's kind of antithetical to femininity, antithetical to desirability, can just make it so that when a woman becomes sexual, she may not have the psychological comfort with eroticism and desire and pleasure that are important preconditions for an environment in which you can learn to become orgasmic. So there's often what I would say, like pressures going in opposite directions. Like I should be, this is what I'm supposed to be. This is what makes us a good, happy, happily married couple as I should be responsive. But also another meaning like, you know, is pleasure a good thing? Is it a virtue Mm -hmm. for me to receive and have pleasure? Isn't that kind of antithetical to the idea that I should be selfless and, you know, forsaking of my of selfish desires. I'm, I'm, of course, not saying that it is selfish, but a lot of times we have that idea that, you know, I, I work with a lot of women who just struggle with pleasure in general right. Right. or 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 a partner or a friend doing something for their benefit only, mm-hmm. right? That they feel like that's somehow wrong or exposed or makes them less than mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. So all those are kind of factors that are at play that 
really make quite a big difference because the lack of knowledge coupled with ambivalence about your own pleasure or sorting out how to have more pleasure can all be factors. And then I'm going to add a third factor, which is women are, a lot of people don't believe me when I say this, but I know it's true, <laughs> is that women are as sexual as men mm-hmm, are. We, mm-hmm. we have as much sexual capacity, if not right. more. However, men look more capable often because they're less picky. Uh, and there's a lot of biological reasons for it. But if you're, as a woman, letting someone into your body to be discerning because of the reproductive vulnerability, the, the biological vulnerability, women are wired to be very picky about where they will be sexual, with whom they'll be sexual. Though That's good. It's good to have that discernment in there. Therefore, though, if she doesn't feel good about the relationship, if she doesn't feel trusting of her partner, if she wonders if she's sufficient, is she really desirable to him? These are kind of meanings that can come and really interfere with pleasure. And so, so much of female sexual responsiveness has to do with the meanings. This Mm. is true for men too, Mm -hmm. but I think it's especially true for women. The meanings that are at play inside of her and in the relational dynamic. No. So I'm hearing then it's not just the, the physiology understanding because we are, as women, everything, a lot more pleasure is internal, but we have a dynamic within the church where I don't know if it's just within the church, but or women in general, Mm -hmm. that the idea it's okay Mm -hmm. for someone to give and to pleasure you or to Mm -hmm. want to serve you is hard to accept. Yeah, I I do actually think there's a a bit of some hardwiring in women to be super conscientious, that is attentive. Mm -hmm. You know, it keeps babies alive. And so that natural inclination to kind of put the needs, to track another's needs and to put another's needs first is intuitive. And so oftentimes sexuality, part of why it's such a wonderful place for women when they make this possible within themselves is it's the antidote to how they often are in other elements of their life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for a woman to really enjoy sex, she really allows herself to surrender into a kind of pleasure that's being offered to her. And that internal permission is often a part of our development into whole women, into whole people. And, you, you know, we can get into that perfectionistic conscientious. I only, you know, and a lot of us have heard narratives in our growing up in the church, but in our families, wherever we may have heard these ideas that the selfless one is the worthy one. Right. And so that can make it harder to grow into a woman who believes in her own inherent value, Mm. who believes in her worthiness to receive, to enjoy pleasure. You know, I'm sure you've said, and I've said often that the clitoris only its only function is a woman's pleasure. And so clearly it is right for women to have deep pleasure. It can actually, in fact, enhance their well-being, their psychological well-being, their happiness in their lives and in their relationship. There's so many, so many benefits. Yes. But it does require believing in our worthiness enough to be invested in creating it and making room for it Mm -hmm. and creating a sexual relationship that facilitates it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so true. Well, and finally, the meanings that we give to sex or mm-hmm. I, I really yeah. hadn't thought of the idea as far as not being able to really release and surrender because you're maybe not feeling safe. I, and that makes sense. But I had I'd mm. thought of it more as mm-hmm. it's my it's me as an individual yes. rather than this is maybe a relational thing that's creating some of that inhibition. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, women's sexuality really flourishes if they believe in their own worthiness, they believe in their desirability, and they deem it as good judgment to let this man in, right? right? To let this person into the core of them, to allow him to deeply touch her, allow her to have... So there's a kind of deep surrender that's out of a kind of strength, right? Right, A clarity of your permission within you, but also to trust your spouse that he is invested in you. See, a lot of women think, okay, I know you want to have sex, but do you want to have sex with me? Is it Mm -hmm. about me or not? Is this Mm -hmm. about I'm your only legitimate outlet or is it that you value me as a whole person? And women are often tracking that question very intuitively. Like, is this is he being nice because it's been three days, or is he being nice because <laughs> because he really cares about me, right? And not just how it affects him. These are the kinds of meanings that are often deeply at play. And for some women, like, do I really want to let go of everything with this person? Do I really want to be experienced and known this way? So it may also be about, yeah, am I free to be uninhibited here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and just one more thought is that, you know, if you have grown up in a reality and experience in which you have either been shamed a lot around sexuality and, or you have experienced sexual violation, right? well, then you have another hurdle around this because being sexual having pleasure can be pretty deeply connected to the experience of an erosion of self right. or a, 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 you know, and so as a, Dr. Schnarch would often say, you know, we want to belong to ourselves more than we want to be sexual. This is true for men and women. But if you think being sexual is a threat to the your integrity of self or to your sense of who you are or your sense of safety, often sexual desire is the first to go. Yeah, for sure. So do you have a formula for surrender? <laughs> because I think that's mm-hmm. that's really in in each of those scenarios, surrender to learn about your body physically, right? How does this work? Surrender mm-hmm. to believe that you're worthy of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Surrender yeah. that this relationship is good. I'm not second guessing his intentions, but surrendering my meanings to this, that this is good. How do women mm-hmm. learn to surrender? Well, what I would say is surrender is based in good judgment, but it's based in an honest assessment of what is true. So it's not a virtue to surrender if you're literally, you know, basically surrendering your good judgment to be open to someone who has ill will towards you right, or is right. not looking after your well-being. So it is a kind of strength to live in the truth of who you are, of your sexuality, of what you deserve, of what kind of treatment you deserve, 
that you are worthy of pleasure. You're worthy of being blessed, right? You're worthy of of joy in mm-hmm, your life. Mm-hmm. So there is a kind of courage often to step into a vision. You know, many of us have a view of God that God is, you know, gave us sexuality but hates sex. Right, right. right. That it's for the lesser people, right? right? <laughs> Something to overcome. To, That's what I hear so yeah, often. Yeah, absolutely. That that we, you know, we are that we might have joy, but not really. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right. Like maybe in the next life or something, <laughs> but like not now. Okay. No. And the more long suffering and miserable, the more righteous kind of, you know, a lot of us just right. carry a lot of these ideas intuitively, perhaps because we had a parent that operated like a martyr or, you know, kind of gave these messages that a little bit of misery is a, is a signal of your goodness. So I, I think that it means growing into a view of a God that really wants us to do what is good because doing what is good creates strength in us and in our relationships. And it literally creates more capacity for joy. Not that the world is without suffering and evil and dark and difficulty because we live in that reality, but there is a way to, through our courageous and actions that are aligned with what is in fact true about ourselves and others, we're able to find a kind of beauty and a anchor in that storm. We're able to find a kind of rejuvenation for our souls. And sexuality, when it's based in a love of another and acceptance of ourselves, has this ability to create a beauty, a sustenance, a kind of marital, a kind of sacrament, right? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. But we have to believe in a God that truly wants us to thrive and to lean into our capacity. So I think this is my long-winded way of saying, (laughs) you know, there is a courage in saying, maybe it is in fact good and virtuous and courageous for me to receive, not just from my marriage, right? But even just a spouse that really loves me or a friend that really cares about me or is helping me during a difficult time. That takes tremendous courage for people Mm -hmm. to not bat that away or to not dismiss it or to not only be in the giving position, but to in fact let themselves be touched by another person. Right. Let themselves be cared for and to receive that care and in the sense of I'm worthy and you're worthy. Like I don't have to prove anything about myself. I can receive the good that's in the world and there for me. So I I think that that's a kind of courage. And then I think to discern in your relationship, is there, are there things here? Sometimes we look at our relationships in a scrutinizing way in order to justify not being sexual because we're afraid of it or because we, you know, want a way to not be that exposed in marriage. Mm -hmm, For sure. But if there are, right, but if there are issues that you think you know, it's different though to say, this is hard for me. I want to have a good sexual relationship with you. Sometimes I feel like you are, you know, doing A, B, and C, and that's difficult for me. And I think when you do D, E, and F, it really helps me feel more attracted, more desired. Well, that's a communication that's about trying to actually have a good sexual relationship. And, you know, a lot of times women go in the frame of, you know, I just need to fulfill my husband's needs. Mm -hmm. You know, so he doesn't look at porn or whatever, you know, just so he's happy with me. But I think that the better frame is how do we create something that's mutually sustaining, that's mutually pleasuring, that gives us a sense of friendship and partnership and connection. 
And so being willing to speak up about what kind of sex would be worth wanting for you mm-hmm. is, is an act of real courage and an investment in your own well-being and the well-being of the marriage. And this doesn't all sound like surrender, but the thing is, if you're really co-creating this, well, then it's a, it's a very joyous thing to surrender to that kind of goodness coming towards you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just speaks so profoundly to the truthfulness of committed covenant relationships and the mm-hmm. the quality of, well, quality of life, but for this conversation, the quality of sex you're having is just going to be so much yeah. better. As a matter yes. of fact, it was interesting earlier this year, there was a report that came out about hookup sex, which I think is so fascinating because all we see in society and the messages we get through the media often is that non-committed relationship mm-hmm. sex is the best kind of sex, right? Mm-hmm. But then yeah. they were actually doing some research, and this was all on heterosexual couples, that 95% of the men orgasmed or climaxed in their last hookup compared to only 10% of the women. And all the things that you're just saying are totally holding true in understanding why that would be. Because that depth and trust and the ability to surrender to someone you you want to have see you must be there. Right. Right. There's been, you know, like, of course, in pre-sexual revolution, there was a lot of this culture, and, and, and we've had it in church culture as well, this idea that women aren't that sexual and in a sense they should be pure and asexual in a sense with the focus on men's sexuality. And so feminism and the sexual revolution were a challenge to that idea, or at least For were sure. attempting to be. However, what is a deep question, I think, is whether or not the new culture post-sexual revolution is any better for most women. And, you know, I think it's still another version of what women are supposed to be to be acceptable because why do women accept that kind of ratio right. of pleasure, I, right? That's that's horrifying. That's what I wanted to and ask the, you. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why would they do this? <laughs> what is, is it just well, wanting to be touched, feeling like you belong, even if it's just for an hour or two? Um, well, yeah, and I think it's, you know, if you have this large, look, as human beings, we're very good at trying to prove ourselves. And again, men are less picky. So when we're trying to prove ourselves, we're looking at what what am I supposed to be like to be an acceptable kind of female? In my dissertation research, a lot of women would articulate that on the one hand, they thought they should be virginal and pure, but on the other hand, they didn't want the guy they were dating to think she was too much of a prude. Mm -hmm. So they would be like in this split meaning. Mm -hmm. The problem, in my view, was that it was all about being what someone else thought you should be, not about you being and standing up for what you believe is good for you and what you believe is right, right? right? The women who actually were the most comfortable with their sexuality did stand up for what was good for them. They did expect something that only was in line with what they believed would be best for them. So women in the church, out of the church, are often scanning for what is it, how do I prove myself? Now, men do this too, and I can say why that's linked to them having hookup sex, but you know, men are often given the idea that you know your sexual prowess, your coolness, your yeah. whatever is proven by how many notches in your bedpost, so to speak. And mm-hmm. because there's less on the line for you, 
you can easily go looking for this kind of sexual validation through a kind of low investment of sex. Women who think, okay, yeah, that's how I'm going to prove I'm enough for this guy are often saying, well, I better do what's expected because, or do what they want because that's how I'll get them to love me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't think of much more of an upside than that if you're not really consistently having pleasure. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, some of the research on this is that women were looking for, this was maybe the way into a more committed relationship. Maybe this would get them ultimately what they wanted. And so I think it's especially damaging if there is that covert hope that this will somehow earn you the love and acknowledgement that you desire. That I think, Mm -hmm. I think the same way you think. The reason they're doing this is they're hoping for something more. They're hoping Mm -hmm. that they're choosing to share themselves this way will lead to something much more committed. So since we're talking about female orgasm, let's get a little specific here. Can you describe what are some more of the reliable routes or methods for a woman to be able to have an orgasm? Well, I mean, in general, women need a lot of physical stimulation and a lot of psychological stimulation, Mm -hmm. to put it that way. And for women usually, and I think there's biological reasons for this, you know, her whole body is an erogenous zone. And some men who are undereducated about women's arousal patterns and for good reason, many men are often Mm undereducated, but, but you know, that, that is to not go directly for you know, her vulva or even her breasts initially, but you just touch the whole body. Right. And one reason why I think this is true for women is that they're mapping the mind of their partner in being connected to him and being touched by him. It gives her time to sort of track, is this where I want to open up? Is this where I want to be? So the slower, being slower to arousal I think has a biological mm-hmm. basis in it. And it gives her time to track and regulate and kind of decide. There's research that shows that women are actually, their bodies are responding as much, if not more than men in the environment when there's sexual cues. But to turn into, I desire to be sexual is a is a much more discerning and much slower to, to make that decision. Right. And so, so just one important path is taking some time. Like physically, give mm-hmm. your body a chance to become aroused. And women tend to take in more pleasure by being directly directly contacted with their vulva or their clitoris when they're much more aroused. Right. So if you go too quickly, it's just, it becomes aversive. It's unco- So the more aroused, the more pressure and, and pleasure that can be taken in through the vulva. The other thing is the psychological stimulation. And this is in part around the meanings that are mm-hmm. at play in the relationship. I'm attracted to my husband. I find him, you know, I he just did this amazing thing for me today. And I know he did it because he just cares about me. Or he really stood up for something and I saw his integrity or his courage. That's very attractive to me. You know, I saw the way he was with our kids. I mean, these are often meanings that are very much a part of women's arousals. Right. And, and they have a lot to do with he's not dependent on me and he is invested in me. Mm-hmm. You think about like biologically speaking, why women would want that. If they're going to be taking care of offspring, they don't want a partner that is psychologically another 
dependent. Right. So they want a sense of psychological autonomy. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, I don't give a crap. They don't mean that. It's just that I can, I'm not needy and dependent. Sometimes men are like needy around sex and they're trying to manage mm-hmm. their ego and their sense of self. And the woman may service sexually, but that's not attractive it's because not. it's more in the line of caretaking. Right. And that's anti-erotic for a woman. If he, though, is invested in her, that, you know, women's erotica and all this are all these themes of like able and invested. Mm -hmm. So he has things that he's good at, strengths, capacity, but he is attracted to her. And in a very, there's sort of this idea that men's eroticism is indiscriminate. Like they just you know, they like anybody, any any woman or whatever. <laughs> but when a woman has a sense, no, he chooses me. Right. He's invested in me. That's a signal of opening up, like that I can be open with mm-hmm. this person because he's not going to run off. So that that these are the meanings. And I think a third thing I would just say about it is, well, I maybe have a fourth thing too, but <laughs> is that... <laughs> I just love you. Actually. <laughs> well, so a lot of women actually like, they need extra meaning in the sense, like they, fantasy scares people because they're afraid oh, if I have a fantasy, yes. it means I don't love my husband or I, I got to get away from him or the reality or, mm-hmm. or they're afraid that because these are ideas that are sometimes the forbidden, that that means that they actually want these things in real life. But what it is, is a kind of grown up play. And I have found that there's a lot of women who just don't give themselves permission right. to play with erotic ideas. And I understand you never should do anything that's truly undermining your well-being or your sense of clarity of commitment in your partnership. But you can play with ideas of surrender, right? Or like, again, a lot of people think they shouldn't feel this way, but a lot of men and women like to polarize in their thinking and what they're playing out. So even if in the light of day, they they engage a lot of similar qualities. In sex, they like to go into more of a yin and yang. Yes. The dominant and surrender, right? That kind of one takes charge, one can, you know, surrender to that mm-hmm. taking charge. A lot of men are anxious about doing that because they've been taught that they might hurt a woman with their sexuality. Mm-hmm. But then they actually take all the energy out of that dynamic. So this is my long way of saying that if a woman will allow herself to play with some of that tension and play with some of that dynamic, this often appeals to women's eroticism much more than Mm -hmm. they realize. But again, there is a a worthiness issue. Like, will I let myself be able to receive like this? Can I let myself play with this idea? You know, uh, you know, like a friend of mine said, you know, my feminist self is not proud of my fantasies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Because, you know, they're all about surrender and dominance and all that. But, you know, it's the bomb. It's really great. (laughs) (laughs) And so so there is a kind of, it's actually women, there was a study I read where women, the more self-confident they were, the more they would allow themselves that kind of fantasy and imagination because, they weren't that concerned about it. If it, they liked it and it was fun for them as a couple, why not? Mm-hmm. And so so it's like, what are the, some of the meanings and are we allowing ourselves to think about what turns us on? Mm-hmm. And for some women, that doesn't turn them on, right? Okay, but, but you know, what are the ideas that we really appeal to us and are we willing 
to create those meanings between us or, you know, yeah. in, in our minds as we are sexual. If a woman does not yet know how to reach orgasm or climax, sometimes the performance pressure is a downward pressure on her. And so if she feels like, I don't know what this is going to be like, and I feel self-conscious and so on, it may be wise for her to take time with herself to sort this out without feeling like she's on stage. But even more important than learning about oneself in this way is the psychological permission. For me, that's the most important piece that, you know, some people may not like the idea that you would spend time with yourself. For me, the biggest issue is how to say this clearly. Like if you feel like you don't have permission to know your own body, Mm -hmm. right, that's the bigger problem. Right, because there is a kind of division within oneself, right? Because a lot of times we think my sexuality belongs to my spouse. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a true. problematic idea. Mm-hmm. Rather than my sexuality belongs to me, it's my gift. And how do I want to sort this out to be able to be in a good marriage, to be able to be comfortable here? Like that's probably the most important piece is just that belief that this is yours Mm -hmm. and yours to determine how you will relate to yourself and to another person. Yes. I was talking with some of my grandchildren recently and about our bodies and isn't it so wonderful that we have bodies and and then one of them said, well, Grandma, what do you think Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother will say when you get back to heaven about your body? And I said, I thought about that for a minute. And I said, well, you know, I think they will probably ask us, did you enjoy your body? Did you have a good experience in that body that we we gave to you? And I, I believe yeah. that's true. I think we'll be yes. accountable in time with what we did with this instrument that we've been given and the self-awareness and self-discovery. So you probably could guess that the idea of masturbation is a hot topic at BYU campus, and I get kicked back every semester and... Still, I still have a job here, so <laughs> not fire jet. <laughs> yeah, but um, great. <clears throat> I like to reframe that in s- sexual self awareness, sexual self discovery, because I believe that your body is yours, and just yeah. as you would want to understand any other part of your body, how it functions and works. Right. Understanding right. your clitoral glands, all of the parts of the vulva, the genitalia, the internal. G-spot, prostate gland, all of that is such a a remarkable piece of femininity and learning about how it works so that you can help your husband help you have experiences that are really pleasurable and give you the pleasure that you long to receive. I just believe that that's essential. Yeah, well, you know, I think we get really anxious about it because we are afraid that people will just be in this solipsistic self, you know, selfish position. And if they understand their own capacity for pleasure. But I actually think the opposite is true. It's like the more you just can really receive the gift Mm -hmm. of your body Mm -hmm. and understand it and then say, how do I create good in my life, in the world, in my relationships through how I relate to this amazing gift. So much of our capacity to love is to also accept ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, we learn to accept ourselves in part through loving 
And in accepting ourselves, we also become better at loving. So there's a reciprocity in these two realities. But I think it's also true with sexuality. I think a lot of our, I don't think we should do anything with our sexuality that makes us selfish, self-preoccupied, self-hating, exploitative of another person. Mm -hmm. So I think it matters what we do and what its impact is. I think that matters much more than specifically whose hand is on whose genitals or, you know, I, I think that's less important than what is the meaning and what is one trying to create or do. I love the way you said that. Absolutely. What is it we're creating together? Are we creating love together? Is that the focus of the experience? Or am I learning about my body so that I can create more love in my relationship? Certainly you wouldn't want to be, I I would never promote doing something that was selfish or in any way either. Undermine your, undermined you or your relationship. Right, right. So Jennifer, what resources do you suggest for women wanting to experience orgasm either for the first time or just to be able to have it more often? What types of resources would you encourage them to seek out to help with this process? Well, I I think you can learn more about your anatomy and learn more about how orgasm works. So, you know, a book that I've recommended in one of my courses is, you know, I Heart Female Orgasm. That's one of them (laughs) that comes to mind. There are others, but they really are educational and allowing, and they're written by women for women around how, how do you understand how orgasm works, what to expect, what you may experience. Sometimes women do better if they have some more direct stimulation. So for some women, they have benefited from, you know, a well-aimed stream of water or a vibrator or something like that because that just gives them a higher level of stimulation and it allows them to kind of surpass some of their anxieties. And then they start to build a little more confidence that they can create this, and then they may be more able to move into other forms of stimulation or be able to create the experience through intercourse. So there's education. There can be different forms of stimulation. And I don't know that I should promote my course, but I teach the Art of Please Desire. Please promote and your this course. Is, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, the Art of Desire is a course that I created for LDS women specifically around the the fundamental... I spend most of my time in the course on self-development because Mm -hmm. this issue of believing in ourselves, belonging to ourselves, being able to reference internally and not so much in an approval-seeking effort because that kind of approval-seeking interferes with our sense of worthiness interferes with our sense of ability to really claim our capacity and our strength and not only to receive, but to be able to love more deeply in marriage because you have more of a self to share. Mm, true. And how our sexuality and claiming it and becoming coming to peace with it is really tied to um, strengthening our sense of self. So around orgasm, there are techniques, of course, right? There are things you can do, things you can learn, and I spend time in the course on that. But this psychological foundation piece is huge. Mm-hmm. It's it's like believing in our worthiness and being at peace enough with ourselves is really fundamental to working with ourselves and working with our spouse to be able to create this kind of consistent pleasure. So 
I do recommend that as a resource. I do as well. I'll second that. I believe that's a lot why I call Live Your Why. I kind of focus on that if you are, if you understand who you are and what you're about and have confidence in the decisions you're making for your life, that brings such a sense of knowing and freedom yes. to yes. to become. Yes. And so, yes. yeah, that is exactly what your courses do. Or they're so centered in yes. differentiation and self-acceptance. I, I really love all the things you've taught. Yeah, I mean, just an idea that's kind of been a thread through this, but maybe would be beneficial to say more clearly, is that women's pleasure and orgasmic inclination is very linked to their sense of freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you feel self-judging, if you feel like you need to be there for your husband, if you feel like you're living someone else's life because you're conforming to the pressures you feel either in your marriage or in your community or in your family life, you're not going to have the psychological freedom that's fundamental to your eroticism. Right. And this is especially true for women. So a lot of women who are coming in who are non-orgasmic, and I often say pre-orgasmic because most women do eventually learn, right? To become, It's very, very rare that someone has a biological reason for not being right. orgasmic. So when a woman comes in that's pre-orgasmic, I'm often like, let's put the orgasm goal aside. Mm -hmm. Let's look at your life mm -hmm. and how you relate to yourself and your relationships because often there's a, an enormous amount of constriction that maybe feels normal to them but is in fact undermining their joy and right. their well-being in general and is part of this orgasmic capacity. Yeah. Yeah, so well mm -hmm. said. Just kind of the thought I had that to add to that is one thing I believe a lot of women can help them be more able to have more orgasms is to understand what arouses them. Understand, and, and you mentioned earlier yes. about some of the, is he invested in me? Is he caring for the children? Is he yes. pitching in? Is he helping support the family? All those are really important for women. Yes. Those are attractive. Yes. But discover what you find sexy. I was working with a couple several weeks ago, and I asked this of the woman, and she came back the next week, and she said, you know this last week? The time that I saw my husband the sexiest was when he was cheerfully laughing and cleaning up the church chairs after church in the cultural hall. And yeah. it was just such an eye-opening, yeah, with yeah, <laughs> with his suit on, right? <laughs> and her husband looked at her like, really? That was it? And it's like, yes, that was just like, that was such a turn yeah. on. But for all right. of us, it might be a little different. I don't know that that would turn me on as much. Yeah. But as a woman, as you start observing your spouse and look for things that he does that you feel that special tingle or the you say, wow, he's so sexy, look for those things and let him yeah. know what they are. Because his ability yes. to help you feel aroused has to really happen before you even yeah. desire sex. And so the more you know yeah. what arouses you and can communicate that, that's going to be so helpful. Right. Right. Because so many women have been taught not mm -hmm. to think about that, that I shouldn't think about that. And I think, I just don't think, I, don't <laughs> I think especially for women who are so much in the tedium of life often, right. taking care of kids and so on, absolutely be thinking about what are the things, what are the ideas, what are the meanings that 
allow me to step into this world of Eros energy, what allows me to kind of go into that experience. And it's a wonderful mm-hmm. gift, actually, if we can if we can allow it for ourselves, because it's something that gives us pleasure and sustenance and fun. Oh, so much. Right, in the midst of often challenging yes. realities. Yeah. I am so excited. I've been writing a book for seven years, and... It went to publishers yesterday, so it's finally done. Wow. And it's oh called gosh. Replenish. That is amazing. And I had such a, yeah. an awakening about seven years ago when I started this project that, you know, God commanded in the creation for the animals to multiply. And then, da-da-da-da, mm. for man and woman, he commanded them to multiply and replenish. And there was just like light bulbs uh-huh. went off in my head that, there's a whole piece yeah. that we're not focusing yeah. on. We've got this multiply thing yeah. down, right? <laughs> yeah. That's drilled into us from day one. But what about the other half of that commandment? And so I believe uh-huh. that this important piece of replenishing and finding that joy mm-hmm. within marriage is mm-hmm. essential to counteract the, all the labor that's involved with family life. And it should be a balance. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So thank you so much for being with me today. I just adore you, and I know that people will learn and love listening to you, too. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work. 